Henry Handsome was a larger-than-life outlaw cowboy. At least that's how the legend goes. Henry Handsome Lived and Died examines the creation, evolution, proliferation, dissemination, and degradation of American folklore. Through 30 different short stories, the character, vague idea, false memory, misattributed anecdote, or influence of the titular Henry Handsome does everything from change the course of American media to sculpt modern-day knowledge of manifest destiny. Together, the collection represents the stories that create and define a culture, how those stories are told, and if they ever were to begin with, and if any of that matters at all. Each story was written, recorded, narrated, and produced by me, Elliot Matson. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash henryhandsome. But for now, saddle up and enjoy the story. Henry Handsome Lived and Died. Story number 21. Colonel Casey Muskogee died in a field precisely at noon on a Sunday. Colonel Casey Muskogee died in a field at precisely noon on a Sunday with a rock for a pillow and a blanket of weeds. We'll get to that. A bit before then, the young colonel and his men surrounded an outcrop in an eastern Oregon. Folks tend to think of the Pacific Northwest as a lush and wonderful paradise, but travel a few ticks east as the crow flies and you're in high desert country that'll make your nose bleed if you inhale too hard. I went out that a ways once and my snot's still part gravel. A scout who was only a few months younger than Colonel Muskogee but didn't have rich parents approached with his binoculars dangling from his bird neck. He leaned in close because sound traveled easily in the desolate space. They're back there, all right. Casey tugged on his clean, khaki lapels and squinted through the wavy heat. His blonde beard sheared to a regal point, and his mustache curled at both ends like his daddy's. Until now, he felt like his time in the armed forces had been merely in the shadow of the great general, the man who ran with the rough riders and scalped engines by the dozen. Now it was his turn. Today would be Colonel Casey Muskogee's ascension to Valhalla. Thank you, Hargrave. He always spoke seriously, with the formalities of a tenured professor. Were you able to identify how many? Hard to give an exact figure, Colonel. But judging by what I saw, the size of that rock, and the fact we can't see him at all from back here, I'd say no fewer than five, no more than eight. Casey smiled. He often felt bad smiling with his teeth because a lot of his boys didn't come from means to acquire dental work. But this was cause for celebration. When word got strung up the flagpole that Colonel Casey Muskogee took down Dwight Everly and his gang of thieves, there'd be no denying his aptitude for law enforcement. Eventually there'd be two General Muskogees written about in the history books. Casey nodded at Hargrave and took five measured paces forward. He carefully removed a kerchief from his breast pocket unfurled it like the American flag, and presented himself the smooth wooden pipe and a bag of dried tobacco leaves. The general's tradition upon a kill was to smoke a pipe. He'd learned it from a Shoshone chief and had a pension for styling himself as a man who valued dignity and tradition. Casey had asked the general for the pipe upon his retirement, and the general laughed until Casey vacated his study. So Casey bought his own. It was shiny and new, the inside had yet to be burned by smoke and charred leaves. It would take time for Casey's teeth and lip to mold around the fishtail bit. He chewed on it every night while reading military strategy textbooks to try to rush the patina along. Casey always had a mind on the future, always two steps ahead of everyone, including himself. The basalt outcrop and Dwight hid behind looked like a sleeping ox. 
Even from across the small canyon, it had the perception of power and insurmountability. The Nez Perce called it Pinmiti Pez. They had some tale about the lazy, unwakeable ox who slept through the creation of humanity, so Coyote made him sleep forever. They used it as a parable about appreciating the world around you and paying attention to what Isiyi, the Coyote creator, gave to you. To Casey, it just looked like a big rock in his way to magnanimity. He'd already smoked through his tobacco and replaced the pipe in his pocket. The colonel knelt to the dusty ground and picked up a smaller version of that same base salt that formed this whole country. He felt its craggly dimples through his thick leather gloves and he felt it explode into dust as he squeezed it. He smiled again. Okay, Dwight, yelled Casey. He stood and placed his hands on his gun belt. A hot breeze scratched through cactus needles and a mongoose pulled a dead snake out of a hole. You and your boys are surrounded. Believe me, there is no way out of this canyon besides turning yourselves in. Or dying where you stand. Dwight didn't reply. A jackrabbit scurried under some nearby brush. Casey smiled incredulously. Good leaders, the general had said, show mercy in an outstretched palm that remains so until all of a sudden it can snap shut quicker than an alligator's jaw. And all it takes is one man to cross you for the rest to fall in line. Casey was ready to seize his opportunity and he'd be lying if he said he didn't relish it. His men were standing their ground. They'd seen him issue a curt warning, just like the general would do. They needed to respect him in kind, so he would proceed, just like the general would do. The loose trickle of dead leaves swirled in an eddy by a dried creek bed. No, he called to Dwight. Not an iota of a response from the infamous Dwight Everly? Casey drew his pistol and took a half step forward. Kiss my ass, Colonel. Dwight's gravelly voice shook the trees. Casey's men crouched to ready position simply by hearing it. Some of them had heard tales of the infamous murderer. His already mythical exploits were getting gilded and re-gilded like Lincoln's gold. Some were haunted by his cruel face on the wanted posters. A few of them had fathers or brothers who were killed by him, sisters or mothers who were raped by him. Still, they couldn't tell if their sweat was anger or fear. You want to kill me? You're going to have to come get me. Or does your daddy have to do that for you? Casey already felt the eyeballs of mutiny upon him. Or worse, disrespect. That is, if he didn't take action. But he wouldn't stoop to the level of a no-good piece of shit like Dwight Everly. The general told him to always ride the moral high ground like any other direction had a dead-end sign staked in front of it. Casey figured this must make the kill all the sweeter. All the more to be talked about and burned into the minds of his future legion of American soldiers. Casey Muskogee, the benevolent leader and ruthless warrior. He took another half-step forward, aimed his pistol to the sky, and fired once. It rang through the canyon and rolled across the back of that big sleeping ox. When the echo subsided, Casey spoke. You hear that, Dwight? That was your warning shot. No negotiation, deliberation, or countdown. That was it. So come out now, all of you, with your hands... The colonel's men all looked at Casey's body in horror. It lay flat like fresh-pressed khaki sheets on the ground. Hargrave crept forward with his rifle, shivering as he shook Casey's shoulder. 
Blood spilled from Casey's face as he was jostled from the jagged rock that broke his fall. The rest of the men watched as Casey's hat blew in the wind past him, the inside crown and shadow except for every so often when a bullet-sized hole of sunlight would pierce the very top. My hands what? Dwight shouted. What's the matter, Colonel? Cat got your tongue? <laughs> Dwight and his boys cackled behind the rock. The Colonel's men were doing the opposite of laughing. Hargrave looked to the sky and pondered if Dwight had somehow shot a bullet with the precise trajectory to take out Casey. Middlebrook caught Casey's hat under his boot, examined the smoking bullet hole, and squinted skyward. Jensen scoped the Mesa line for engines, who would later rename this haunted ground Tautwaza, to join in sleeping, and warn their children to avoid it lest they be sucked in the somnambulant vortex of Pinmictipez. Nowadays, you can drive to a paved parking area next to a bathroom and a sun-faded sign will tell you about some astrological event in the 80s that I can't remember the details of. You'd think it was at least called Muskogee Crossing or Sleeping Ox Lookout, but it ain't. The cavalry boys scratched their heads and reluctantly lowered their weapons. A tarantula crawled slowly past the body, paying it no mind as it would any other rock or twig. Hargrave, Middlebrook, Jensen, and the rest of them did have one thought in common. If they didn't hightail it out of this canyon, they could be deader in Colonel Casey Muskogee. Loyalty, the general had said, is the opposite of that open palm of mercy. It clenches and squeezes inescapably tight, hoists you up to the prevailing heavens with tenacious devotion, until all of a sudden, Thanks for listening to Henry Hansom Lived and Died. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmanson.com slash